Before we get straight into the podcast, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, D Kirby GA Star. Declan Kirby GA Star Championship Journey. It's a series of GA team children's books written by primary school teacher and GA coach Michael Egan. You can check it out in the link in the description down below, of course, as well. Follow the trials and tribulations of Declan Kirby and his team at Smith Green Gaelic Football Club, recently formed a promising GA team. The book is now available in Easton's and all good bookshops, so check it out in the description down below. And let's get straight into What's the story everyone? Welcome back to GA Fan TV. I hope everyone is keeping wonderfully well. This is the GA Fan TV podcast. This is the football review show with myself today. I will be flying this solo for a change, so it will just be myself. So you'll just have to put up with me today for this uh, football review show. Um, and yeah, of course, if you're new around here, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. We do a number of podcasts, interviews, match reactions, fan reactions, absolutely everything over on GEA Fan TV, both on YouTube and on all podcasting apps as well. And yeah, I'm here today obviously to review the weekend's football action and there was certainly a lot of talking points, a lot of discussion and brilliant, first of all, to have the championship back. I mean, after such a long time not having the championship, I know we had the league back and the league was exceptional. Probably, arguably the best National Football League campaign we've ever seen, in, in all honesty. I mean, the action that we've seen, the goals, the drama, you know, absolutely everything. You know, you think back to the Monaghan-Galway game, the way it went down to the line. It was absolutely brilliant. And will we get that in the championship? It's hard to know. Probably not until the latter stages, maybe semi-finals, you know, provincial finals, stuff like that. Um, so we'll really have to wait until until that happens. But ultimately, it was brilliant to have the championship back and um, disappointing in, in some ways uh, by the fact there's no qualifiers. I've said this on other podcasts before as well, you know, not having the qualifiers there. Just very disappointing to see a lot of teams, you know, their, their championship, their season is over at the weekend. You know, the likes of Down, the likes of Carlo, the likes of Clare. Um, you know, as well, Sligo as well, and you know, in particular, the likes of Down and Clare, who I think both showed were both disappointing by their own respects uh, in this in their in their games. Obviously, Down were beaten very comfortably by Donegal, and 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 Clare were beaten very comfortably by Kerry. But for Down in particular, there was a player on the on the Down on, on the pitch called Barry O'Hagan of Down, who was very very impressed by you know the way he was moving at different times on the ball the way he was getting away from different players, creating that extra yard of space for, for his points, I thought was exceptional. And, you know, there was a part of me that was quite disappointed when the full-time whistle went because I was like, you know what, we won't see him in a down jersey again until 2022. And it's um, it's kind of crazy to think that. It really, really is. And, you know, even in the Clare game, the likes of your David Tuberties, who, you know, people are saying maybe it might be his last ever game in a Clare jersey. Owen Cleary, we won't get to see him again, you know, until next year. It's very disappointing, it really, really is. And I, I still don't understand why they don't have the qualifiers this year. Like, the All-Ireland Final isn't until August 29th. I mean, that's two months away. You know, what? it's 28th of June today, so it's over two months away until the All-Ireland Final in Gaelic football. Surely they could have done something. They could have fitted the qualifiers in there. There's a couple of gaps in between. I know they, they want to get the club championships back and, and whatnot, but surely we could have had some qualifiers in there. We really, really could have. Also, for those of you who ha who don't follow me over on Instagram, who don't follow GA Fan TV on Instagram, but for those of you who do, you might have seen a post recently about the match pins app and um, was very delighted to be asked to create my own uh, GEA prediction league over on the Matchpin app. For those of you who don't know what the Matchpin app is, it's a free app 
um, designed for, for all sporting activities really where you can actually predict a lot of the different games that's happening not just in the GEA but also in rugby and also of course in, uh, in, in in Gaelic football in the Euros of course as well it's actually a very cool app as well it even shows like different pubs and you know what they'll be shown like if they're shown different matches at, at various different pubs and whatnot so it's actually a very cool app it isn't a paid sponsorship or anything like that but they did just reach out to me about creating my own uh, GA predictions league and we've actually five people in there at the moment and I'll actually leave a, a graphic on screen right now so you can actually go and take a look at how the app works. I'm in first position at the moment. Uh, we've got Joseph O'Dwyer there in second, John McCarthy in third, Patrick Sharkey in a fourth, and Keen Roberts in a fifth. Um, so I was actually first, you know, I'm first at the moment, but there's only five people in there. So if you feel like you can make better predictions than me, which I don't think is that hard, to be perfectly honest, feel free to join the league. There's still a chance to join it. You can join the league with the code GFTV. Like I said before, the app is completely free. Um, all you have to do is is download the, the Matchpin app on the Play Store or iOS or Android or whatever device you have. Download the Matchpin app, uh, join the league. And then once you're in the league, you can go and predict... Uh, your games for the weekend and then you can actually see the rounds as well there's even prizes as well free prizes that are issued uh, at the end of every week and at the end of every uh, you know month or whatever so do get over there if you if you can and uh, you know just a, a bit of crack and whatnot and even at the end of every week we'll run through different predictions and we'll see who ends up finishing first at the end of the championship and i might even issue my own personal prize maybe as well for whoever finishes first um, obviously if I finish first I'll, I'll give it to whoever finishes second because I mean it would just be a bit weird if I gave myself a prize but yeah do get over there and uh, I'd very much appreciate it and anyway back to the podcast but look listen we'll crack on with some of the results we'll run through some of the talking points some of the big games and we'll start with the Ulster Senior Football Championship first of all Donegal beat down 225 to 112 uh, a very comprehensive 16 point victory for Donegal uh, in this game um, and look, listen, I suppose, first of all, from a, a Donegal point of view, you're delighted to come through this game very comfortably. There were obviously some suggestions and, and some people were thinking this game could be a little bit closer, maybe with Down being a Division 2 team and Donegal, you know, kind of with the injuries that they had coming into this game, Michael Murphy, Jamie Brennan, Oshin Gallen, a few other injuries around there as well. There were some suggestions that maybe Down might be able to trouble Donegal just a little bit because if you if you think back to when Down played Cavan in the Ulster semi-final last year, there were nine points up at half-time, I believe, and they had that game within the melting pot. You know, who knows if Down had won that game, then gone on to an Ulster final. You know, could Down have done what Cavan done? Who knows? We ne we just never... We, we, we never... We, 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 what am I saying? We would have never known, unfortunately. Uh, we will never know. Um, but obviously I did do my, my live reaction after this game, so if you want to check that out over on uh, GA Fan TV on YouTube, you can. Um, I gave my live reaction, my instant reaction straight after the game, and ultimately, to be honest, my thoughts between uh, making that video and now really hasn't changed. Um, the talking points really in this game were obviously Michael Murphy starting, first of all, which I was a bit surprised by. I know some people were saying, look, listen, you can't take down too lightly. You know, you got to show them the respect. you got to give Michael Murphy minutes. you got to give him playing time uh, so he can recover from the injury, get up to full fitness. But I think with a hamstring injury in particular, it's risky starting a player when when he's you know has he fully recovered yet i'm not too sure that he has you know it's only been three four weeks since that hamstring injury if not even less so i thought personally the way to do it would have been would have been to bring murphy off the bench um 
you know, with the final 10 to 15 minutes. The intensity of the game wouldn't have been there at that point. Donegal probably would have been five or six points in front at that stage. And, you know, they they would have the game would have been more or less over. And I think it would have been comfortable for Murphy to come on uh, just to get a couple of minutes under the belt and then maybe start the Derry game and then kick on from there. Now we have a situation where we, what, we don't know what the story is with Murphy. He might not be involved in the Derry game at all. And, and who knows, maybe not even for the rest of the, the Ulster Championship. I mean, who knows? I mean, it is a hamstring injury. He could be back in three, four weeks. We'll have to see the extent of the injury. I know Declan Bonner probably didn't want to take too many risks, so that was probably the main reason as to as to why they took him off. One big positive, though, was the return of Jamie Brennan. Came off the bench, got that goal. Took about 12 steps in the process, but a really well-taken goal. Um, brilliantly taken finish by Jamie Brennan. Um, and for down, like what I was saying in the in the live reaction, for a team that sets up defensively, um, for a team that has that blanket defence system, to be making the errors that they were making, basic defensive errors that you'd see on the training pitch, you know, in in club games all across the country at lower levels. Uh, or maybe you wouldn't even see it, you know, a basic kick out. One of the defenders gets caught. Jamie Brennan puts pressure on. Donegal pressed up on Downs kick out. Jamie Brennan lapses onto it. I know he took about 12 steps, but he was he still got to that ball and still created that chance. And for Down, that was a situation where it shouldn't have happened. And I know people have been saying for a number of years now about Downs, you know problems with their own kick out and I think it was evident in this game they were really really struggling at different times in the game and Donegal were forcing far too many turnovers um, and it's disappointing and we've seen what down, what down do have a bit of quality you know we've seen in the second half when Caelan Mooney got that goal they created a number of goal chances Barry O'Hagan who I was saying earlier was exceptional for down really really impressed with, with how he played in the game but there were too many disappointments. Corey Quinn didn't really show up on the day um, in discipline when Jared McGovern got sent off. So I think from a down point of view, you'd be very disappointed with that game because I don't think the gap between Down and Donegal is as big as that. Personally, I think Down, you know, Donegal should be beaten down comfortably, but it should be nine or ten points. It shouldn't be, what was it, 16 points in total on the day. Shouldn't be that amount. Um, it really, really shouldn't. But for Donegal, they move on to, to Derry. Very excited for that game now. I really, really am. I'll be very interested to see uh, what happens there when that game comes around uh, next weekend. So make sure you do stay tuned for the football preview or the football, yeah, football preview for next weekend that will be out um, be out in a couple of days' time. Um, I suppose one thing we should discuss is the, the, you know, the big margin of victories that we had this weekend in all of uh, in a lot of the games um you know Mayo beat Sligo by 20 points which I don't think was a big surprise and actually you know we'll, we'll discuss that game in a few minutes but Sligo to be fair actually gave a good display in some ways in this game you know hitting 12 points and they actually fought and worked hard and they you know for when you look at the the, the kind of um the overall big picture you know Mayo are what top four top three in the country Sligo are down at the very bottom you know in my football power rankings, for example, I had Sligo in a 30, I'd Mayo in a 3. So a 20-point victory for Mayo would have been expected there. But when you look at Kerry versus Clare, for example, Kerry won this game in the end by 17 points. Uh, Limerick beat Waterford by 18 points, which was you know an extraordinary victory there in many ways. I know Limerick have made massive strides, but 18 points is a huge margin um, considering Limerick are a Division 3 team. And both sides were actually in the same division last year. 
Um, you know, we had some other kind of big margin of victories, of course, as well. The Donegal down game, like I mentioned already. The Kerry Clare game, the Mayo Sligo game. Um, and, and you know what? In, t- in terms of the championship at the moment, in terms of the structure, and I know it's a debate that we always seem to discuss, and it, it is frustrating talking about the structures of the championship because it feels like it's a debate that's gone on for the past two or three years without there ever being any changes at all. Um, and I know the COVID situation has disrupted it and the Tier 2 was meant to come in and it isn't there. But surely now, like going into 2022, the GEA need to make changes to the structure of the championship, in my opinion. It's imperative that they make these changes. Otherwise, we are going to lose so many players across the country from a lot of the you know, lesser counties, if you want to say so to the likes of Australian football, to other sports. And a lot of players are just going to opt out and not be bothered and just play for their clubs. And in many ways, you know, you can't blame them because what is the point? You know, what is the point if you're... And I think that's one of the reasons why we also had a lot of big margin of victories and a common team throughout a lot of these games as well was that in the final 10 to 15 minutes, the bigger teams, the likes of your Donegals and your Kerrys got better as the game went on. They brought players off the bench and they pulled away further. And I think another reason for that was also because for your downs and for your clears, you know, you're you're trailing eight or nine points going into the final five to ten minutes. You know realistically that it's gonna take a miracle to turn this around. And you also know that you've nothing else to play for after this game. You've no qualifiers, there's nothing there, there's nothing else to play for. So are you gonna take that extra yard? Are you gonna take that extra step? Are you gonna, you know, press on that kick out? You know, are you going to listen to your manager's instructions? Maybe you won't because you know that there's nothing else to play for here. There's nothing else to work for. Um, and I think that's a big issue. I really do. And I think that it even stems for when there is qualifiers. You have two games. You know, maybe if you're a, if you're one of the lower level counties like your Carlos or your Leitrim, Sligos, you've got, what, two games a year in the championship? That's just not good enough in my opinion. And I know the Tier 2 has got mixed issues and, and a lot of people aren't too happy with it. I think, in my opinion, they, they have to do something now where they, where they bring it in or even what Daniel St. Ledger mentioned on my podcast where he said you have your senior championship, you have your intermediate, and then you have your junior. It has to be ran in a similar way to Hurland, in my opinion. It really, really does because, you know, if, if Hurland was ran the same way football would, we'd have very much the same results. Now, the margin of victories would be bigger because, obviously, Hurland, you know, there's always going to be more scores on average in a Hurland game than there is in a football game. Um, just by the nature of the way that sport is played um, and you know but it, for example if you were to have say for if you, let's say if you were to have your Ulster Senior Hurling Championship every year Antrim go up against uh, Cavan on the opening day Antrim would win that by 30 plus points it's no different to, to what we've seen in some of the games at the weekend and to what we will see when Dublin uh, play Wexford next weekend as well because that will be 20 plus points as well you know and it's it's just, it just doesn't do anyone any favours at all players are getting injured as well it's not even doing the big teams any favours at this point as well um, so it's something that needs to be changed and look I'm, I know I'll have a debate about this at some point with, with some people on the channel again we'll get some people on we'll have a proper discussion and I know a lot of people in the comment section below and, and have offered their own suggestions and you know the provincial champion championships don't need to be scrapped you know run them at the start of the year as pre-season tournaments combine the league and championship in whatever way um, and then I think we could have a really really interesting championship I really really do um, but we'll crack on anyway and we'll we'll once again kind of move through some of the, the different games and Kerry versus Clare I obviously made a live reaction to that game as well um, I suppose just to, to discuss this game very briefly, I mean, 
you know, I think in the end, a lot of people didn't expect this game to be as one-sided as it was. I think a lot of people expected Clare to probably bring the the same kind of level of fight and determination and heart that they showed in the Mayo game. For example, they scored 218 against Mayo, but they only scored 111 uh, in this game. Um, and they very much just ran out of steam in this game. They looked a little bit tired. They looked a little bit... Yeah, once Kerry kind of pulled away and had a 6-7 to seven to 8 point lead, um, Clare just never found the momentum. They needed a goal earlier than they did to, to really kind of... Because in the Mayo game, when they got those two goals, they really th- that gave them a lot of confidence. Mayo obviously had Killian O'Connor go off, and Clare gained a lot of confidence, and they felt like, okay, we're actually within touching distance here. You know, there was one point going into the final four to five minutes in the Mayo game where there was only three points in it. Clare never got close to Kerry at all in this game. Kerry came flying out of traps, five points without reply. Um, the pass by David Clifford into into Sean O'Shea was, or it was actually Paddy Clifford, I should say, into Sean O'Shea was, um, I mean, what a pass that was. To have that vision and awareness was absolutely brilliant. And that's something that Kerry are trying quite a lot in the championship. They tried it in the Dublin game, and it is a tactic that could have some joy against the Dubs later in the year, where you know they'll win a ball around midfield or maybe in the half-forward line, and they'll quickly look to offload it into the likes of David Clifford or if it's Killian Spillane in there or Paul Ganey or whoever it is up in the full-forward line. Um, Sean O'Shea, obviously, in this instance... And it will create a bit of space. And when you have those situations where you've got two or three players, 3v3 situations, Kerry are, you know, they have the players to be getting goals in them situations. And that's how they get the majority of the goals that they do get. Kerry's bench was another point I wanted to make. I mean, you know, we've seen this with Dublin down the years in the Leinster Championship when they bring players off the bench um, and they pull away late on. We've seen that. Killian Spillane came off the bench, he had three points. Tommy Walsh didn't score, but certainly caused a number of problems. And Michal Burns got a very well-taken goal as well. And it was just, uh, it was comfortable in the end for, for Kerry. You'd have to feel at this point, Kerry will surely win the... Uh, the Munster Championship. Surely they're not going to make the same mistake that they made uh, against Cork because we know they have the quality. They play Tipperary next and then obviously Limerick or Cork, which we'll discuss Limerick now in a moment. But surely for Kerry, they're not going to slip up. I feel like the only way they don't win this Munster Championship is if they slip up. But they come through, arguably, you could say their toughest test in, in Munster. I think Cork will put it up to them more. I think Clare just underperformed on the day. Um, and I do think you know, Cork will, will give them, uh, or whether it is Cork, because it could easily be Limerick, but Tipperary, they'll have to worry about Connor Sweeney and, and Mickey Quinlevin and whatnot, but Tipperary are coming on the back of a very poor National League campaign. Kerry, very confident at the moment. You could see Kerry beating them. I mean, this was 17 points, could very much be very similar scoreline in the uh, in the Tipperary game. It really, really could. We'll move on to Waterford and Limerick. Uh, Waterford, Beaten by Limerick by 18 points. Waterford, 12 points. Limerick, 4-18. An incredible performance by Limerick here. I mean, this was brilliant stuff from Limerick. And, you know, the strides that they're making in Gaelic football at the moment is very interesting to see, isn't it? Um, And I think next year, you know, with Division 3, they could very well be contenders for promotion. I think they're going to be up there. I really, really do. Um, And... You know, it's mad to think that these two were Division 4 teams last year and Limerick have just breezed past Waterford and they've gotten better as the season's gone on as well. Like they even put it up to Derry. They gave Derry arguably their closest game in the uh, 
in the entirety of the league. I know Cavan came close enough to Derry. Cavan actually came closer. There was only two points in that game. But Limerick gave Derry a very good, you know, close contest, a close battle. And in this game in particular, had it on in the background. I was more focused on the Dublin and Antrim game and hurling that was on at the time. Um, I will be discussing that tomorrow in the, in the hurling review show. But in terms of this game, you know, Limerick, just exceptional. The way they move the ball, so quick on the ball. Players like Hugh Burke and Robbie Burke as well. Hugh Burke scoring 1-6. Um, I actually seen the goal as well. Really well taken goal on his left foot. Slotting it past the, uh, the goalkeeper. It was actually the first score of the game as well. So Limerick really set the tempo early on, getting that goal. Um, you know, Killian Fahey with 1-1. Another very, very impressive player. Um, and obviously Ian Corbett at centre-back. What a player he is. You know, scoring 1-2 was nominated for an All-Star last year. Didn't win an All-Star. Obviously, didn't, Limerick didn't play enough games. They only played two games in the championship. But nominated for an All-Star, which tells you all you need to know about the quality of Ian Corbett and getting forward, very, very top-class player. Definitely gets in my GEA team of the week anyway. Um, he was absolutely exceptional. He really, really was. Um, there's no two ways about it there. Um, we'll move on to the Connacht Championship and Mayo play Sligo. Well, Mayo beats Sligo, obviously, by 20 points. Well, actually, before we get on to the Connacht Championship, I suppose one thing we should discuss, just very briefly, I will discuss this more in the preview show uh, later in the week, but Mayo, or, but Limerick versus Cork is going to be a very interesting game because, you know, the gap between those two counties, in my opinion, is not as big as we think. I think Cork have the potential to win it by four or five points, and I would still fancy Cork at this moment in time. But with Cahal O'Mahony injured for Cork, with some of the retirements, Kieran Sheehan has obviously retired recently as well. There's a chance for Limerick. There really, really is. We've seen Limerick nearly beat Tipperary last year. There's a huge opportunity there for Limerick to beat Cork. It's not impossible. It really, really isn't. And, you know, if they could build up a bit of a lead, get men behind the ball, make it difficult for Cork, make it a dogfight, it could be very close. It really, really could. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see how, how that game goes. But we'll move on. Like I was saying, Mayo and Sligo. Mayo, 323. Sligo, 12 points. 20-point victory in the end for Mayo. I know someone in the comment section below in one of my videos was asking what I made of Sligo. I think at the end of the day, what more could you expect from Sligo in this game? They're playing one of the best teams in the country. Sligo have had a numerous amount of retirements in the past couple of years. They've basically got a new squad, new management, and in the COVID situation as well. They didn't even have a championship game last year because of the COVID situation. So always going to be very tough for them. And I think, to be fair to them, I know it's a 20-point victory, but I do think they showed some positive signs in this game. And I don't think it was necessarily the end of the world that they lost by 20 points. I mean, what more could you have really expected here? Um... You know, the likes of Niall Murphy hitting six points, for example. Sean Carabine with two points as well. Mikey Gordon, Liam, Liam uh, Gohan as well getting a point. And, you know, for Tony McEntee, it's all about building now for next year. It's all about Division 4 next year. We all knew realistically that Sligo were never going to win this game. So it's not the end of the world. In terms of Mayo, what did we did we learn anything new about Mayo coming into this game? You know, I think there's no there's no debating that they, they they're going to beat. They obviously beat Sligo. They're going to beat Leitrim. They'll probably beat Leitrim by more. In all honesty, um, given how Leitrim have gone in Division Four, but I think Mayo. The question was coming into this game: Would we learn anything new about them? Would we learn anything different about? how they play, 
um, with the fact that Killian O'Connor is injured uh, with some of the other new players that they've brought into the team. One thing that stood out for me, Darren McHale scoring 1-5. It's a player that I've mentioned on numerous occasions. Actually, as a matter of fact, I even made a video about talking about what Mayo needed to do to potentially win an All-Ireland in, in 2021. And one of those things was was bringing Darren McHale into the team. Now, he isn't... He isn't the, the key difference in them winning an All Ireland. I mean, Killian O'Connor's injured. Just just can't see it happening right now. But he scored one five. Um, I know it's against Sligo, but it's a it's big for Darren McHale to come into the team. He was a top scorer in the Mayo Senior Club Championship in twenty twenty for Knockmore. Was a key part of them winning that uh, county title. So he's a player that could very much have an impact for Mayo this year in the championship. And I think he's come into the team. He's taken. He's taken the, the opportunity and he scored 1-5. And I think it was a very well-taken goal as well. And obviously getting five points, fantastic from Darren McHale. And he could certainly be an option. Aidan O'Shea scoring 2-2. He loves scoring against Ligo, doesn't he? I think his last championship goal was in 2015. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that might have been against Ligo as well. Scored 2-2. Um, caused so many problems for, for that Sligo team. And um, yeah, playing in a full forward too many issues for Sligo. They couldn't deal with, with Aidan O'Shea at all. Uh, Tommy Cronroy with two points. Ryan O'Donoghue with five points as well. And he also had players like James Carr and Fergal Boland coming off the bench as well. Paul Towie coming off the bench as well. So Ryan O'Donoghue played at 15 and, and Tommy Conroy played at 13. So it will be interesting to see um, what way James Horan lines up that attack, you know, going into the, the later rounds of the, of the Connacht Championship and obviously the potentially an All-Ireland semi-final if they can muster past uh, either Galway or, um, or Roscommon, which of course will be interesting to watch as well. We'll move on to the Leinster Championship and we had a, a couple of games really here. At least these games now were competitive. We had some close games. Longford, Longford were always more or less in front against Carlo, but Offaly and Loud was probably arguably game of the weekend. A uh, very close game, went to extra time. Offaly ended up winning 319 to 19 points. So you'd look at that scoreline and you think, oh, Offaly probably won that game quite comfortably. It wasn't it wasn't the case because it went to extra time. And um, you know, I watched I rewatched some of the game there just before I made the this video. And to be fair to Offaly, like they were in control in particular in the first half. They were dominating the play, but Loud were moving the ball quickly, and the likes of Samuel Roy, Kieran Keenan as well. Uh, certainly causing a couple of problems for Offaly and they always stayed in contention anytime you felt that Offaly were going to pull away Loud were the side that would pull it back um, and I suppose for Offaly you know another big victory for them you know they obviously played five games in the league because they got that final against Derry I was a bit worried for them in all honesty coming into this game haven't seen them against Derry thought they were very poor on the day they looked jaded they looked dead on their feet they looked a bit tired as well in, in, in that game in particular and you were worried with the amount of games that they were playing could they come into this team come into this game against a loud side a Mickey Hart team that you know are going to fight that are going to make things difficult they're going to move the ball quickly on the attack that are going to be resolute defensively as well um, but Offaly passed that test with flying colours, scored three goals on the day. Keen Farrell was brilliant in the game with seven points. Noel McNamee, I mean, what a talent. What can you say about Noel McNamee? I mean, he is just an exceptional footballer for this Offaly side. Um, brilliant display, man of the match on the day, scoring 1-3. Um, brilliant, brilliant performance. Peter Cunningham and Jordan Hayes in midfield were both very impressive as well. 
And uh, of course, some of Offaly's bench made a, a big impact as well, with Bill Carroll getting a point, Owen Carroll uh, getting a point as well. You've Bernard Allen getting the goal, of course, coming off the bench, and Mark Abbott. Uh, was on the score sheet as well. So fair play to Offaly. They go on to play uh, Kildare. For Loud, I mean, they they done what they had to do this year. They won the, uh, well, they didn't win Division 4, but they obviously got promoted. So they done what they had to do. They'll build now going into Division 3. Um, and I suppose it'll be it'll be interesting to see how long Mickey Hart stays at Loud because is this a long-term thing? Is he going to be there five to ten years? You feel like he needs to be there at least four or five years before Loud can really maybe kick on and potentially you know cause a shock or two in, in Leinster and if they ever do I personally I don't think they will but if they if they are going to it's going to take a couple of years at least um, for Offaly they march on to Kildare um, and we've seen in the Leinster Championship down the years the likes of your Kildares and Meads in particular in the past and we'll get on to this when we discuss the Longford game um, in the past five to ten years you know there's been shocks in the Leinster Championship. Carlo beat Kildare. Longford obviously beat Mead. Offaly nearly beat Mead there back in 2019. Um, there are surprises and there are shocks. And you wouldn't rule out Offaly beating a side like Kildare. But Kildare will be coming into the Offaly game with a bit of momentum. Obviously having getting promoted to Division 1. So you'd have to feel that surely that uh, Kildare would have enough to, to beat Offaly. But certainly that will be a, a very interesting game. No doubt about it. Wicklow. They beat uh, or they lost to to Wexford, two eleven to fourteen points. Um, do you know what? Fair play to Wexford. They deserve a lot of credit because um, you know I I was obviously speaking on my podcast when I had John McMahon on from the J Mac podcast and we were discussing uh, the downfall of Wexford having lost to to Waterford and then lost again to Carlow. Um, they were very poor in the Waterford game. There's no two ways about it. Very poor. They should you know when you look at with all due respect to, to Waterford, Wexford should be beating them. I know Waterford have had a great record against Wexford in recent seasons, but Wexford should be winning that game. There's no two ways about it. There's no doubts about it. Um, and the Carlo game, they had it within their grasp. They started really poorly. They pulled it back. They were leading going into the final few minutes, and John Murphy, the Carlo centre-back, was the hero on the day who won the game. But, you know, fair play to them. They got a win against uh, Sligo in the Division 4 Shield. And now they've come out and beat Wicklow. And Wicklow were actually leading throughout the first half as well. And Wicklow were coming in with a lot of momentum, having beaten Cavan. And I think Davy Burke would be quite disappointed, you know, to lose to their local rivals, a team that Wicklow beat twice last year. I think a lot of people would have fancied Wicklow to get the edge in this game. But fair play to Wexford, you know. And you're looking at the likes of Mark Rossiter scoring 1-6. Um, very impressive player. And even the likes of Sean Nolan in there as well, who I remember watching in the, in the Carlo game, I thought was very impressive as well, Robbie Brooks was another brilliant player in, in that Carlo game. Did he, I think he came off the bench in this game. Uh, he didn't even come off the bench at all. So, you know, Wexford changed their team quite a bit to, to the Carlo game when I watched them last. And Paul Hughes got a point as well. And uh, Martin O'Connor, actually, at, uh, at centre-back, ended up with a goal. Um, and disappointment for Wicklow, who, you know, achieved that big result over Cavan. Um, but I think this, again, puts more things into perspective that Fair play to Wicklow. You know, they stay in Division 3. It's a brilliant job for them. I think it's going to be tough for them to stay in Division 3 again next year. Um, and I think for Wexford, they surely have to have their eyes on, on getting promoted back to Division 3. I know Cavan and Tip will be the obvious favourites there. But uh, personally, you know, 
I'd worry for, for Cavan and Tipperary in Division 4. And I think a team like Wexford, if they can keep building momentum under this new management and keep some of their players within their squad, I think they have talent. I really do. And I, I don't think maybe they're as bad as, you know, there were some talks there that maybe they were the worst team in Ireland. And, you know, personally, having lo- haven't seen them lost to lose to Carlo and Waterford, I probably would have put them at 31 of my football power rankings. But I think the victory against Sligo and this victory as well gives them a bit of credibility. And they move on now to Dublin, which unfortunately will be a, a 20 plus loss. Let's be perfectly honest. Um that's just how it's going to be for, for Wexford. There's no two ways about it. And like I said before at the start of the video, it's a, it's a massive shame that you know that these counties, unfortunately, are put in these positions. And you know, as a Dublin fan myself, uh, you know what, what are we going to learn? What are we going to see? What's going to be different? And like I, I said at the start of the video, you know, if you were to do this in Hurling, it's, it's very much the equivalent of a, of a Tipperary you know, going up against a loud or, or something like that, you know, in, in Hurling, it's it's very, very much the equivalent to the two. Um, So, you know, for Wexford, look, listen, they'll they'll go into the Dublin game, they'll they'll work hard, they'll they'll try to do what they can, but, you know, it's it's, it's such a hard one to speak about and you, you'd be wondering what the Wexford management would be thinking this week going into the game. Um, In all honesty, you really would, but, Look, listen. Fair play to them. They've, they've. I think regardless of what happens in the Dublin game, they've, they haven't necessarily turned their season around, because obviously they, 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 they weren't even in a promotion playoff when realistically they should have been. Um, but I think having beaten Sligo and having beaten Wicklow, there, there are positives and they are slightly moving in the right direction. Um, and I do think when the season ends and when the final whistle blows against Dublin and they lose, um, I think they can hold their heads up high to a certain degree. And it will be interesting to see their approach actually against the Dubs as well because they've been fairly attacking actually in the in the games that they have played, and um, it'll be interesting. You know, surely they're going to get men behind the ball and in, in the Dublin game and try and contain them. I suppose we'll we'll have to see what happens. But but um, Carlo and Longford, the last game to finish up. But I rewatched this game. Rewatched this game this morning. Um, fair play to Longford. You know, twenty five points. That's a big margin to to finish up on. Um, you know, and look, listen, they started the game very, very well. I think um, Robbie Smith is a, is a serious talent. I mean, what a player he is. Uh, kicks him, you know, has a wand of a left foot in many ways. There was one point in the second half where he got the ball. Uh, the ball was played into him in uh, the right corner forward position where he was playing. And he just caught it, turned quickly, put it over the bar instinctively from a very difficult angle. Arguably the point of the weekend as well. You know, so if anyone has has a moment, you know, go back and watch that game. I think the point happened. I think it was around the fiftieth minute or sixtieth minute or something like that. It was a really, really well taken point. And even in the first half, he was kicking some brilliant points as well, and um, playing with a lot of confidence. You could tell that by the way he he was in this game. Uh, Rian Brady was brilliant as well. Hit five points um, as well. Donald McElliott was another impressive player who got a point. And obviously, big Darren Gallagher in the midfield. Um, winning a lot of the ball, winning a lot of the kickouts, which Carlo did struggle with their kickouts. Um, that was certainly a big problem, and Longford were able to win the majority of the kickouts, in particular in the first half. Um, and and Darren Gallagher, you know, getting four points from midfield, which I always think is uh, is very impressive indeed. And you know, the thing I like about Darren Gallagher as well is he's you know he, he controls the play a lot of the time. And Longford are very patient, to be fair to them. They don't rush chances. They don't, you know, shoot from impossible angles. Although Robbie Smith did at one point, and actually it went over the bar. 
Um, but they're patient, they wait for the right openings, and they have experience in there with the likes of uh, Mickey Quinn as well. Um, so Longford do deserve a, a lot of credit for, for getting the victory, and fair play to them, having seen them against Derry, hitting five points, you were worried for them, they looked void of ideas, They you were kind of worried that Longford had maybe peaked a little bit in, in 2020, you know, when they kind of, they were close enough to promotion, um, and you were kind of worried a little bit for them, um, haven't seen them against Derry, but they showed promise against Cavan. They got you know a draw against uh, Fermanagh, scoring eighteen points that day, and you know very impressive, obviously against Tipperary getting that win. So back to back victories, they'll be very confident going into the into the mid game. In terms of Carlo, there was a stage at the end of the first half and at the start of the second half where they looked like they were you know slowly turning the tide. Paul Broderick didn't start. He uh, he was injured coming into the game, but he came on right at the end of the first half, and that certainly did give Carlo a bit of uh, impetus in the game. Dara Foley scored 1-4 on the day. Chris Blake with, with three points. Um, Dara Foley actually playing up uh, in the full forward line in this game. And yeah, you know, Paul Broderick, who, who came off the bench, certainly made an impact, hit four points uh, from coming off the bench, so that certainly did make an impact for, for, for Carlo. But, you know, Longford were always very much in control of, of this game, and, and certainly when they weathered that storm at the start of the second half and started to kick points of their own, they uh, they pulled away, and then it really, you know, Carlo made it close-ish towards the end of the game, but Longford were always comfortable, really, and he always felt that Longford would eventually see out Carlo and win this game quite comfortably. For Longford, they go on to meet, and... You know, I'm saying this now. It's got that is a very intriguing game. That's a game I'm definitely gonna watch next weekend. I mean, because look, listen, Mead have injuries at the moment. Mead have a couple of problems. Um, we've Longford beat Mead a couple of years ago. Um, and the potential is there. There really, really is. And you would be worried watching Longford a couple of times defensively in that game. Carlo did cause a couple of problems when Carlo ran at Longford. Um, got two goals, they caused a couple of problems, had a few more goal chances as well. That's something Longford will need to work on because that's Mead's biggest threat is goals. Um, and if Mead can work the ball inside, work it into the full forward line and create that, that space and get those goal chances, that would be a worry for Longford because if Mead can get three or four goals in this game, you know, it, it, Mead will win it quite comfortably. The question will be, can Longford pack their own full-back line? Can they be defensive? Can they see off that threat of Mead and then pick Mead off on the counter-attack with the likes of Robbie Smith and Rian Brady? And if they can execute that game plan, which is you know easier said than done, I mean, they have a chance. They really, really do. Longford have a real chance of beating Mead in this game. You know, in my opinion, I think they really, really do. Um, personally, right now, do I actually think that Longford would beat Mead? Personally, I don't. Uh, I'd have to give Mead the benefit of the doubt. Surely, given the progress that Mead have made over the past year, they were very competitive when they were in Division 1. You know, They were never hammered or beaten very comfortably. They were always competitive in every game. Even when they played Dublin in the in the final game in the National League, well, not the final game, the second final game, um, second last game, I should say, they were competitive in that, in that game at Parnell Park. So... Obviously, things have tailed off a bit since then. They beat Wicklow and Kildare quite comfortably. We've seen what happened against the Dubs in the Leinster final. Their Division 2 campaign is, hasn't been great. They just about got past Westmead, uh, just about edged it. Comfortably beat down, lost to Mayo, played a second team. Kildare, they weren't very impressive as well. Um, 
So, look, listen, I'll discuss this game, obviously, you know, in the football preview in more detail, but it will be very, a very interesting game between Longford and me. There's no uh, there's no two ways about it. Um, and, yeah, you know, that very much wraps up the uh, the football preview show, or the football review show, I should say. Um, and, look, listen, obviously, there weren't a whole lot of talking points in, in Gaelic football this weekend. You know, there weren't too many competitive games, a lot of one-sided beatings and whatnot. And, um, like what I said before, you know, hopefully the GEA can can have more of a look at this and, and make some changes going into the championship next year because I think for a lot of people who are fed up with talking about it, we're fed up with talking about changes and and whatnot. But the, the the reality is is that the gap between the big teams and even the you know, because you have your you have your big teams, you know, your top six, your top seven in the country, and then you have those teams maybe underneath the top ten who are trying to strive up there. And I put you know, I'd put the likes of Claire and Down in that down maybe at the bottom of you know of that kind of underneath the top 10 if you like and Claire up up near the top um you know and we've seen that you know they were both beaten quite comfortably and yes they underperformed and we know they can play better but certainly it's something they need to look at don't scrap the provincial championships like I said provincial championships mean a lot to counties we've seen Cavan and Tipperary record historic championship wins uh, or provincial wins last year, winning their provincial titles. We've seen Ross Common do it in the past. Sligo, the years when Loud went on to to reach Leinster final. So certainly they'll get rid of the provincial championships, but there has to be something done in terms of giving teams more games and involving them more, and maybe doing a senior, a, an intermediate, and a junior championship. Maybe going into twenty twenty one, combine the league with it if you want as well. It has to be done, in my opinion. It really, really does. But, look, listen, that will be a, a debate for another day. And, uh, yeah, do let me know down in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're on Spotify or Apple or anything like that, give the podcast a rating as well so we can uh, push the podcast up in the, in the rankings as well. Um, and, yeah, do uh, leave a like, subscribe if you haven't already. Have a lovely week ahead. Stay tuned for the football preview show that will be out later in the week. The Hurling uh, review show will be out tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that as well and there'll be more podcast interviews coming as always so my name is Aaron have a lovely week and I'll see you later